Good morning, everybody. Got to have a sweet time of worship and uh, quite a robust uh, fellowship time. So continue that after the service. Please do, please do. And it's great to now get to do the beautiful thing that is the core and the meat of what we do Sunday morning, which is delving into the Word of God. So let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to come into your word, Lord God. And we just ask you to do what you always do and just speak to us, Lord God, as we seek to learn more about you, seek to know you more, Lord God. And Father, I just pray that you would help to remove the distractions that try to come in, that when the thoughts of what needs to be done after this or what needs to be done this week or who I need to call, remove it, Lord, that we can just focus on you because this time is yours to be with you. It's our date with our Father. Father, to be with you and to be in your word, to grow, Lord God. So please speak to every single person here, Lord. We also just pray for the classrooms and as the teachers are pouring into the children of this church, Lord, that you speak to them, Lord, that we all would receive the seeds of truth, Lord, unto salvation, unto growth, unto renewal, that we leave this place changed more on fire for you and to do what you call us to do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. So as it was mentioned last week, we're going to be walking and working through the book of John on Sundays, and we're going to begin that book today. Last week, we saw Revelation 3, 7 through 13, the Church of Philadelphia. We saw that church who kept God's word. We saw the church who didn't deny God's name through keeping his word in their lives and in their actions. And that was a beautiful anchor for me as your new pastor, and it was also for this church to remind us of the founding of this church that was anchored on the full counsel of the word of God and how vital that is and how that must continue. The door to serve, the door to evangelize in this area has been opened by God, and as we saw last week, no one can shut it but God. And so we need to remain faithful to that task. We need to remain faithful to that charge. And truly, the only way we can remain faithful is if we're faithful to his word. Wednesday evening, we started the book of Psalms, and we're going to be working through that. And in that one, we saw and were reminded that the journey to worship and prayer, the journey to a blessed life, the journey to the life that is anchored in him is solely rooted on the word of God. And with the word of God, we're to delight in it, We're to meditate upon it. I encourage you, try to come out on Wednesdays. If you can't be here, at least listen to it. Because I share all that to say the way the Holy Spirit is weaving together the start of this journey is quite precious. And he's really speaking quite clearly. It's about the Word of God. It's about standing on the Word of God. And as we begin the book of John today, we're going to see that anchoring even further. And so it's important that as we do this, as we start this book, as we're thinking and we look at someone we looked last week, you need to be pondering and asking the Lord to search your hearts in terms of your relationship with his word, because that in turn reflects your relationship with him. Why? Because as we're going to see today, he is the word. Now, as we did on Wednesday with the book, of Psalms, and as we're going to do right now before we just jump into the verses, youth groups used to me, my PSA announcement, take scripture in context, therefore, we're going to set the background for the book of John, and this is just going to be things that we'll be able to return to, themes, ideas, I want you to just have that all going in the book, and as we're going in the back of your mind, so you remember the context of this book that we're going through. So the book of John, as most of you know, this is one of the four Gospels. It is the last one. We get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John being all four. Now, the book of John is also referred to as the fourth section of a fourfold Gospel, because we have four voices with different perspectives on one story, hence fourfold Gospel. Now, John was most likely written after the other three Gospels, and it highlights things that in the other accounts we don't find in the other three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are referred to as the synoptic Gospels, meaning see together. These three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell the story of the life of Jesus in the same format. They show what he taught, and they show what he did. Now, the Gospel of John is different where we are seeing who Jesus is. And as it conveys who Jesus is, gaps in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are going to be found. And I share that when you are going through the Gospels, I encourage you, see how it's all woven together. 
See how the puzzle pieces all come together. See the full picture that our heavenly king gives us. Youth group can tell you we're working through the book of Mark. Two years later, we're not finished. We'll get there eventually, youth group. We're almost there. I don't know how long John's going to take. Don't ask me. But there's much meat within the text. And as we went through Mark and as we're going through it, we look at the other gospels. As we go through John, we're going to be looking at the other gospels because we want to get the full picture. Matthew shows Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies of Messiah to come. Mark shows Jesus as the what? Somebody in youth group? The servant. The servant. I heard servant. Good. Luke shows Jesus as the perfect human. John shows Jesus as deity. Matthew, when it opens, we get the genealogy of Jesus through his adopted dad, Joseph, that gives him the right to rule. Mark we're not going to get much genealogy. It's the gospel of action. It just keeps going. Euthios, ask somebody in youth group what that means. And then Luke shows the genealogy of Jesus through his mother, Mary, showing he's biologically a descendant of Adam through the line of David. John, this gospel, we see the lineage as the great I am in existence before all time and all was. Now, the authorship of this gospel is clearly pointed to John, being written around A.D. 85 to 90. That's about the time frame. And when people hear the author as John, some theologian will say, well, is it John or John the Elder? Guess what? They're one of the same. The John who wrote the first, second, and third epistles, they're the same. And we see that in 1 John 1, 1 to 4, we read, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be filled. That's 1 John 1, 1 through 3. John was a valued eyewitness for the life of Jesus. And he wrote the gospel later in life. And it's truly God using him to preserve these stories and accounts that he heard. John would become an anchor for the early church in the moments of persecution and tension as the church faced struggles, as the church had internal controversies and conflict, the three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John would encourage and exhort the church. John really, he was seen as a heroic pastor theologian for Asia Minor. Now the book of John actually complements 1st John truly nicely and I share that because 1st John deals with the false teaching threatening the church at the time. And when you hear that, you think of our culture today, what a timeless reality that is, false teaching threatening the church. And at the time, the test of the heart was heresy, whether or not a holy God could take on the form of a human being, a debate we still see going on today. And in this book, right at the start, we're going to see it's proven, oh yeah, he can, and he did, and he is. But it's all to remind us the issues that we see in Scripture are relevant today. And saints, that's why we need to be immersed in this book, because it's a living word. That's why we looked last week. We need to keep the word, and we need to not deny his name, his word, his spirit, his way. John was the son of Zebedee and Salome, the same Salome we would have seen later as one of the women who goes to the tomb to discover Jesus has resurrected. He is also the younger brother of James. Now, to note also with John, this author that we get, as time went on historically, artists, Renaissance time goes, all of this, they actually started to portray and paint and create a really a feminized version of John, which is quite interesting because he's noted in Scripture with his brother James as the sons of thunder. And I just share that as a friendly reminder that we need to be vigilant and attentive to the ways that things try to get twisted and turned and the truth of God and God's ordained will, purpose, and perfect design get attacked and get little things that try to present it differently. John would come to play a lead role in the church. 
He started with the early church in Jerusalem, and there's a few spots where you can see his role. Uh, if you want to do a dive later, Acts 3.1, Acts 8.14, and Galatians 2.9. Acts 3.1, 8.14, Galatians 2.9. As we saw last week, later in Ephesus, for an unknown reason, he was sent into exile at the island of Patmos, where the Lord revealed revelation to him. Perhaps it wasn't an unknown reason, because we get the book of Revelation. Scripture also points to the authorship of this book being John. In John 21, 24, we see, This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And who is this disciple in John 21, 24? It is the beloved disciple. It's the disciple who Jesus loved. We see him referred to that in John 13, 23. 1926, 22 through 10, 217, 2023, and the 2124. Why am I sharing that? To remind you guys, Scripture proves it all. Scripture gives us the answers. When there's a question that you have about something, don't go look online. Just open your Bible. Start there. Truly. The authorship of John is also highlighted in the way that things are addressed in the book. Scripture proving it. Because as a Palestinian Jew and an eyewitness to Christ's life, John highlights Jewish customs with detail, and we'll see that as we go through it. He shows knowing the land of Palestine with the details that he provides. He shows his eyewitness status with the details he provides. Because ultimately, the way he explains Jewish customs, Palestinian geography, and translates Aramaic terms to Greek, it all shows the Holy Spirit gave him an awareness he needed to be sensitive to the Jewish and non-Jewish audience who would read this book. And the purpose of the book we get in Scripture. John 20, 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John 20, 31. There's the purpose of the book. We don't need to go any further. Have a wonderful afternoon. No. <laughs> the purpose of this gospel is that people would come to believe and know who Jesus is. This gospel gives the full story of who Jesus is, how powerful he is, and why we need a relationship with him. And how that relationship gives us life. And that life is a new life through salvation. What does that mean for the believing saint? You can skip it. No! It means that you come and you learn more about your king. And it also means that you enter into prayer as we're starting this book. Who do you need to invite to church or tell about church that they might come and bask in this book? That the whole purpose of it is for salvation. And if you don't invite him to come, tell him to read John. And get in prayer about that. Truly, always be seeking in prayer, Lord, who do you need me to be a witness to? Who do you need me to tell about you? Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, let's walk through the door. Let's evangelize and serve this area for his glory. Amen? Worst case, they say no. Okay, that's it. Or they come and they never come again. Okay, guess what? In you presenting the gospel and them coming once, seeds have been planted. Then you commit to prayer that those seeds get watered. Now, geographically, this book begins with John the Baptist ministering near Bethabara, where Jesus then meets some of the 12. We have events in Cana. Then we see ministry with the Samaritans. Then miracles and more in Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem. Check out the map and realize the vast land that our Savior covered. And I pray we keep continuing those Israel trips when you all gave the report. I was just like, wow, we got it. I want to go. So that you can see these sites together and take a look. What makes this gospel so unique? I think we got a lot already that does, but let's add more to that list. The gospel of John is the most theological of the four that you'll see. And something that we've got to note with Western culture and actually with Greek culture at the time, preachers would preach doctrine and then try to illustrate it with stories. But what we see through this, and what we see with the way it's crafted, is the story isn't an appendage to the theology. The theology is in the story, and in the words, and in the text we'll see today. And when the theology is highlighted in this gospel by the contrast that we see, 
Psalm 1, we got to see the way one contrast was on Wednesday. Blessed versus perish. In this, the contrast you should be on the lookout for, light versus dark. So when you're reading on your own ahead, try to find it. Look for life versus death. Look for fleeting life versus eternal life. Look for disease versus health, pointing to the worst disease of all, the sin-sick soul that needs Jesus, and love versus hate. This gospel is also unique, and we're going to see specific testimonies about Jesus. Testimonies through John the Baptist, Nathaniel, the blind man, Martha, Thomas, Jesus himself, and more. And as we look at those testimonies, it reminds us we need to be ready to share our testimonies. We need to be ready to share what Christ is doing in our lives because each testimony of Christ points to Messiah for all to believe for new life. This is a gospel that is stories of calling, stories of recognition, witness, conflict, encounter, miracles, discourses, the passion story, the resurrection, the post-resurrection appearance, all showing who he is. This book is also known for its simplicity and depth. A quote that I found in studying that I loved was, it's a pool in which a child may wade and an elephant may swim. Youth, any middle schoolers who are in here right now or who will be as of August 1st, y'all are in the sanctuary now for messages. And we're going to continue. We'll have the two youth nights a month. But in a culture attacking the family unit, seeking to destroy and divide, the church needs to be a place where the family unit's preserved. And this is an opportunity for you at this age. You've gone through some things to just be here, to delve into the scripture, and realize, youth, this message is for you too. It is for all. And as you study with us, listen, engage, and adults in the room that are older than the youth Share with them. Share the testimonies. Share your stories. Share how Christ has worked in your life. Share the parts of this as we go through it that speak to you, speak to them, that they can grow. As American theologian Charles Erdman said of this book, its stories are so simple that even a child will love them, but its statements are so profound that no philosopher can fathom them. Jesus called the children unto him, and that's why we're saying, come unto him, come learn, come be in this. Now, this book itself doesn't have the parables that the synoptic gospels do, but it does have seven miracles, five that aren't recorded in the other ones. And that is why you'll hear some people refer to the gospel of John as the book of seven signs. And those seven things are the water to wine, the curing of the nobleman's son, the curing of the paralytic, the feeding the multitude, Jesus walking on the water, sight to the blind, and the raising of Lazarus. And also, as we look in the beginning of this, we're going to be delving into the verses for today in a moment, we get the series of those powerful I am statements that we're going to see within this. And it's pointing to Moses in Exodus 3.14 when God says, I am who I am. We'll see Jesus say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Think about pointing to the theology. He doesn't say he gave the bread of life. He is the bread of life. He doesn't say, I'll teach you the way. He is the way. He is that's the title of today's message and the title covering the first few verses that we're going to delve into for the book of John. And moving forward, we'll just jump into the text. But again, firm believer, before you're getting into the text of a book, get a little knowledge about the book. Learn a little bit about the background. Learn a little bit about the culture so that you have a foundation that's ready to then implant what the Lord shows in each portion of that to you. So as we do this, read and listen attentively, read and listen sensitively, and read and listen prayerfully. That's how we should approach scripture, attentively, sensitively, and prayerfully, that you can hear the voice of God speaking to you as the voice of God speaks through his word. He speaks to you, and he's going to speak to us in this text. So let's stand, let's dig in to the verses 1 through 5 of chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that you preserve, and thank you that you are the word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you fill me as we go through these verses, that the words that come out of my mouth be of you for your people in this moment, in this time. Preserve them from distractions. Let the seeds be planted firmly in their hearts, souls, and minds that we all can be who you need us to be for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The book of John, this gospel, points to the deity of Christ, bam, right there in the first verse. Now look at the way this starts. In the beginning, does that sound familiar? Genesis 1.1, if my Bible lets me turn there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John points to the same language that we find in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis, we see God achieving his means by speaking. And in John, we see God's word as human flesh achieving the end of salvation and eternal communion with God through him. So you see, before we delve in the book, we've got to get something right. God created the heavens and the earth. If you can't get that in the beginning, you're not going to get this in the beginning. We've got to get that in the beginning. Secular culture, secular minds see the universe as being spontaneously occurring by chance. And the nature, it just evolves and it's unaided by any external force. Secular culture says that religion is there, but it's just opinions, and in reality, there's nothing external beyond us. It's your truth, but really, you can have whichever truth you want. Yet, Genesis 1, this verse that we just looked at of our text, say, no, he is in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The creation of our earth was personally made by God. The Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, is Jesus Christ for a personal relationship with you and me. In the beginning was the word. Guess what? Jesus. That's what that means. Jesus was the word here, saints. Jesus existed before time. Christ existed before time in existence with God. That's where we get the notion that you'll hear the pre-existent Christ. The word was with God. Jesus was with God from the beginning. The word was God. Jesus is God. It ties into now Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the spirit of the God was hovering over the faces of the waters. So if we go to that creation and we realize that Christ was there from the beginning, guess what we now have? Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Bam, right there. The book of John starts the journey with the word from eternity into time. Eternally beside God and in creation, then becoming flesh unto the sacrificial lamb that's slaughtered for you and me. Now, scripture proves scripture, right? John 17, 4 through 5, Jesus points to this when he has this precious prayer. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He's reminding, he's affirming what we just saw in John 1.1. 1, 1. Jesus also says it later in that same prayer, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Again, pointing to the pre-existence of Christ. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning with God. John 17 verses just prove that. Other places just prove that. That's where it can be kind of that mind-blowing concept. Wait, so he is God. He was with God in the beginning. He's before time. This is too big to understand. Guess what? He's bigger than us. 
And that's a blessing that he's bigger than us. It's a good thing that he's bigger than us. And in verse 3, we see all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. He was creatively and actively involved as creator of heaven and earth, as creator from the beginning of creation. And God's creation, again, is personal. Math and science can have explanations that they come with and terms, but those are just mechanical explanations of a universe that solely points to the personality of our God. Sovereign ruler, sovereign creator. Colossians 1, 16 to 18, we get this painted picture again of this creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He is. He is the word. Now the Greek word there, we've got to do a dig on, on this word. Logos. Which means thought, concept, expressions thereof. In the Old Testament, we see the idea of the word conveyed in activity, in revelation, through God speaking, in wisdom of God being personified. And within Greek culture, that logos expressed ideas of reason and creative control. And the Stoics actually held that God had mind implanted within the universe, and that's why there was logical things going on. That's why there's sunrises and sunsets. That's why there's seasons. The plants and animals all have a logic within them that keeps everything orderly. And boy, when they would see that word, they would be intrigued, but little did they know the journey that they would be going on. And we pray that journey is unto salvation. The same thing for us, that we pray the same. As people go through that, they see that. That people who study the O-L-O-G-Y things like biology, zoology, geology, and all these other things come to see that the logical science of study of these disciplines is only possible by the God-given consistencies of the universe he created. God's order is the only order. So secular logos is an impersonal explanation. And through opening this book, we see that Christ, with God, through that, it is a personal creation. And it is the ultimate explanation of all things. What is the ultimate explanation of all things? The Word. Jesus. The Word of God. Written. That we seek to study. That we seek to rightly divide. That's the explanation. It's not logic. It's not man coming up with fancy new doctrines and theologies and going with whatever movement it is. It's just the reality that God is creator. Jesus is creator. God is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the bridge to God. To move from a secularist to a creator worldview, it needs evidence. There's the evidence. We have the evidence within this book in the pages ahead. We're going to see that. And again, who do we invite to come meet the King of Kings through this? The Word. Jesus is divine, eternal, all-powerful, becomes flesh, takes on the humiliation and suffering that you and I can have life through the death of his flesh. This gospel is it's God's love for us within God's full love letter, which is the Bible, for us with the message of hope to a world in revolt against him. We see was the word. That's his preexistence. He is from the start. When we see with God, the with there, the preposition there is pros. And that points to an ongoing, intimate relationship with God. That's what we see right there. Later on in this chapter, in verse 18, we'll see no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. That's the intimacy that Jesus has from before all time with the Father. As we study this book, we see the closest relationship with the Father. The relationship of Jesus, who is sent by God, is dependent upon God, is obedient to God, unto death on the cross and glorifying him. It is a relationship 
with that with with God that allows him to humble himself even to the point of death. The word was God, deity. We see God in Jesus. We see Jesus in that phrasing that we look at is separate from the Father in personhood, but one in divinity. Separate in personhood, but one in divinity. Said another way, in just one verse, we see that Jesus is in unity with God the Father and yet also a distinct being apart from God. We see his divinity and we also see his humanity. And later in the chapter, we'll see the pre-existence and the incarnation of becoming the man for you and me. Then we see the revelation of who Jesus is and the revelation becomes sacrifice on the cross. As we study these just few verses, it gives a deeper meaning when we think about Philippians 2, the mind of Christ. Think about that mind of Christ and the context that we looked at, that intimacy that he has with him. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. He was with God. He leaves that for you and me. Now, something also important with this first verse that we've got to know is within this first verse, there's a little bit of controversy that can come up from it. And the controversy mainly will come from Jehovah's Witnesses as they will use this verse to say, Jesus is not deity. Jesus is not God. How? We're going to have a little grammar lesson right now. So put on your grammar hats for a second. The end of the verse, he was in the beginning with God. I'm going to share the New World Translation. And if you go through all the different translations, I took a little time and did just fun doing this one verse in different translations. There was only one that had this translation, and it's the New World Translation, their translation of the Bible. Reads as so. The word was in the beginning with God and was a God. That's how it looks. Now, they decide this because they claim within the language, the absence of a definite article, the definite article being the, must translate was a God using an indefinite article. So we're really getting grammar land. Remember definite, indefinite articles? Don't ask me more about that. Now, an indefinite article doesn't exist in Greek. It doesn't exist within the Greek language but they have a definite article, the. Now, in English, we have an indefinite article, a. But the context must demand that indefinite article. And for the Jehovah's Witnesses to prove their own theories, they say it demands it. But it doesn't. How do we know that? If we look at Ernest Caldwell's rules, who's an American Greek Bible scholar, he explains the definition, a God, is not required for the lack of an article. Because the term that's being used there in Greek is theos. And guess how it gets its meaning? From the context around it. And when you look at the context of all of those verses, guess what? It's God, the God who created all things. And then if you go even further, you can then look, John 1, 6, John 1, 12, John 1, 13, John 1, 18. I could give you a whole list that that same theos is used and there's no a, uh, because it's God. So I share that for two reasons. One, that's part of why we do a dive and take things in context so we know it. And two, if a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, get your Bible and talk about this verse with them. <laughs> do it. So rather than this being a verse that doesn't show his deity, it shows it, it proves it, he is who he is. And we see the Trinity here, because when we take the context of this verse with all of the whole counsel of the Word of God, we see it at creation. And guess what, saints? We get to see how beautifully our Savior knits His Word for us. The Word. Think about your own words. What do your words do? Your words articulate the thoughts of your mind, right? You have the thought, you say the Word. When we think about the Word, the Son of God, Jesus comes to reveal his father's mind to the world. 
He comes to reveal who Jesus is, uh, who God is, the mind of him, why he loves us, how he loves us, what he wants for us. Because he shows the almighty authority, the deity, the authorship, the sovereignty that's there. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Again, Christ was active in the work of creation. We saw it in Colossians 1. Nothing was made that was made without him. So think about Psalm 139, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. You saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. That's Jesus also creating us, our lives, our thing, our journey. That's God. That's Jesus. That's the communion and relationship we can have. Jesus never spoke about gender. Actually, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Guess what? Jesus is there. Jesus spoke on it. Jesus is God. Do you see the power that comes when we look at the truth of the pre-existence of our Savior, of our King. He is author. He is finisher. That author is from before time began. When we think about Hebrews 12, where we're told to lay aside the sin that ensnares us so that we can run that race to eternity, boy, does that change the depth of that verse. He is. I'm not. He's the creator. I'm not. He's the one who reigns, not me. He's the one who rules, not me. He's the one who knows all, not me. He must increase, I must decrease. What did we see in Colossians? He is the head of the church. Christ runs this church. No one else, the word of God. It's all about him. By the time we get to the end of the book of John, again, youth group particularly, don't ask me when that is. When we get to the end of this book, we should all be able to see inevitably it is all about him. He is the word. Remember Psalm 1, delight in the word day and night. He is, that means he is the delight. He is the counselor. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the path we follow. And it goes back to last week. He is the one we keep. He is the name we do not deny. So saints, we need to examine our relationship with his word. Is his word enough for you? Is Jesus enough? Our modern culture right now, it's immersed in topical studies from the pulpit, distorted truth in the name of justice, massive programs so that everybody's busy doing fun activities but not reading their Bibles, books, devotions, TikTok news, podcasts, Instagram, Facebook, you name it, you got it, and all those things take this and put it farther and farther and farther away from us when we should be basked in his goodness and the simplicity of his word. Go back to the heart of your own in the beginning with Jesus. Go back to the simplicity. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. At creation, the word was enough. God said, let there be light. It was. Let us make man in our image. Man was made. Today, we don't look at what God says. We just plant ourselves and jump it in and run with it. We have a sin nature, and it's selfish, it's prideful, it's resistant to accepting his word and his presence. But that sin nature from the beginning, Genesis 3.21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, personal relationship, God in communion with Jesus, who's present from the beginning, has desired to give a covering for our sin nature. Accept that covering, walk in it. Take stock of your relationship with him. For again, the relationship with his word is your relationship with Jesus. If you take a toll on your time, is God's word speaking to you as the main voice? Or is it man? Or is it other things? Verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Remember one of those themes we were going to look for? We have now something else that's going to come up a lot in this book. Life and light. Jesus is the light 
because he reveals and discloses that life is only found in him and judgment comes to those who don't believe in him. Now, a fun fact here, if we look at the words, there's three different ways we can see life in Greek. And we're not always going to do so much on Greek, but in this case, it's useful. Bios is the physical life. Pesake is the soul life, the emotional, the intellect, and the will. That's what you see most common. That's not what's there. And we could just zip through this verse and not realize it's Zoe. What does Zoe mean in Greek? Eternal divine life of God. It only comes through one, Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. Eternal life is what we get from Jesus. And it's proven here with this verse. In him was life. The life here is salvation. It's deliverance based on Christ's blessed atonement. Life and light. He is life. He is light. It's the essence and the mission of why Jesus came. Psalm 39, 6, for with you is the foundation of life. In your light, we see light. Death, darkness, it flees when Jesus is revealed and at the center. Saints, we need to be in prayer and in prayer without ceasing that our own eyes, oops, sorry there, would be open to seeing his light daily and having the life that he ordains. We need to be in prayer that those around us would see his light unto the life of eternal salvation and how we live our lives. Again, not denying his name through how we live our lives. Where is your focus in light of the light of the world and who he is? Where's your focus? How are you praying for the lost and unsaved? How are you living out the open door that we have as a body and individual believers in Christ. Verse five, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. The did not comprehend it, you can have a better understanding. NLT translation writes, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it, can never put it out. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 9, 2 says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Saints, that's us. Now, if you don't know Jesus today, that light's not shining yet, but I pray it does come shining. How does it shine? How do I get the light to shine within me? You realize you're depraved. You realize you're a sinner. You realize you can't run your life. You go to the knees at the foot of the cross and you say, I need you to be my savior. Take the wheel. Because there's only one light, Jesus. Youth, guys, the light isn't who follows you on social media. It isn't the latest TikTok challenge. It isn't fame. It isn't everything that the world tries to indoctrinate you and make you think it is. The light is Jesus. And guess what? The darkness can never extinguish the light. The comprehend in New King James that we read there is take hold of, overpower, overcome. Satan and his powers can resist and try to hold the light, but they can never overtake the light, our king. You know what that also means? He dwells within us, that light's within us. We have a role to live. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and, give, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How many of you read that verse? Yesterday when I was finishing and putting that in, I was like, wait, I think that, that's the verse that's on the wall. And I went out and I was like, oh, it is. The light of Christ is within us. And as his kids, we need to let our lights shine. And we need to let our lights shine brightly amidst this dark world. Dark can't get darker. Dark is the absence of light. You want to change the dark? Shine the light of truth on it. And this is an important piece. When we look around the world, it's really easy, guilty as charged, to get angry sometimes. Those people, why I ought to, I want to tell them I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. James 1, 19 to 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, 
slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We're told to then be doers of the word. Being a doer is obeying it, keeping it, letting your light shine. Be his light. Share his truth. God's truth is love. Truth, love, that's kindness. What is kindness? This. Really? But some of those things mean I have to change. Yes, it's a beautiful thing because you grow to be who he wants you to be. Don't let the enemy draw you into sadness, discouragement, and defeat. Don't sit and be the person that's just, the world is a mess. What's the point? There's no point. They'll never change. They're so woke. They're so this. They're so that. Don't do that. We are a city set on a hill. We cannot be hidden. Put the light on the table. Let it shine. Shine your light before men. And notice the end of the verse there that we see in Matthew. So they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven because it's all about him. And I say that so you check yourself when you're shining that light. It's not so you can prove what a good Christian you are. Look how good I am. I'm doing this. If that's your heart, get in prayer. It's about glorifying the Father. It's about exalting Him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Five short verses and so much in there. God's authority, Christ's authority, the power of knowing he's in control, the power of knowing he is the light, he is the life. Here we see him as the word. Later as we go through the gospel, he speaks the word unto humanity as he walks on the earth. Here we see that he is life, and we see that life come to fruition as we believe through his death. Here we see him as light, and he gives sight to the blind later in this. And that is a beautiful portrait of the light that needs to be shined on the sin-sick soul that doesn't have Jesus as Savior, that the scales can fall off and they can know him. The healing that people need most and foremost is the healing of the sin-sick soul. Darkness gets a grip, people resist the word, and they reject Christ for many reasons. And even you, some people here today, could even be in that place where it's, well, you don't know what I'm going through or how hard it is. Or you might be one of the youth thinking, well, you don't know how my parents are and you don't know what life is like for me. You're right, I don't know. I don't. But I'll tell you this, God knows. I'll tell you this, if you go to him, he's going to be the salve for your soul that's going to change things. So get off the you don't know, because he knows. He is. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is eternal. He is the son of the father. He is creator of all things. He is the high priest. He is the shepherd. He is the ruler of this church. Saints, take stock. Who is he to you? Who is the word to you? Is the light of Christ shining from you? Is this a Sunday fad or your living water? Is the word of God fleeting verses or something that you hold fast to, meditate, and chew on? Saints, teens in the room, everything you're pursuing, everything that you take, and if you're putting it before God, it's, it fades away. The life you are living ends with death. And then it's eternity with him or eternity away from him. Who is the him? The one that was there since the beginning. The one that was there from the start, the one who had that intimacy that we looked at with God the Father and forsakes it for us. Think of that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Before time was, Jesus is at the bosom of the Father. That's a long time that he's used to that and he takes that moment of separation that we can have communion with God the Father. Think about that. He, with God, before the start of time, separation for you and me. He created all. He is the light. He is the life. He gives us life, so we shine his light. And that reminder, darkness can never extinguish our king. Darkness can never extinguish the light of Christ within you. Hold fast to it. Hold fast to his word. Isaiah 48. 
The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. The word of God stands forever. Many can quote it, but are you living it? He is blank. How do you fill in the blank today? I pray that we fill in, he is my all. He is all. That's how we need to be filling that in. Because there's only one eternal security. There's only one hope. There's only one way, truth, and life. So my prayer is as we embark to go through this book together, that you draw closer unto him. And I charge you today, take some time and ponder, for those of you who know him as your savior, ponder you're in the beginning with God. Ponder you're in the beginning with God. Ask him to search your heart and see things you might need to remove, things you might need to change, things you might need to shift, that you can better run the race for his glory, that you can better be the light that he calls you to be. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Let's start there. And in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. That's Jesus. Come to know him. Come to have relationship with him. Come to commune with him. Because at the end of the day, we have a choice. But he wants that communion and relationship that then you can be in him. Saints, I can't stress enough as we go through this book, don't just go through it for the sake of just, okay, I'm checking the box of learning it. Go through it to know your Savior more. And I pray, go through it to pray for those who don't know him. Pray that he gives you a heart for what breaks his unto eternal salvation. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord God, for just who you are. We thank you for the goodness, Lord, of your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you left your intimacy with the Father for that moment on the cross so that we could have eternal salvation, Lord God. Lord, we pray for anybody who doesn't know you, that they would come to know you, Lord, that they'd come to talk to me or talk to someone in this space to say, how do I know and how do I start my beginning with God? Lord, I pray that you help each and every single one of us go back to the in the beginning of our salvation with you, Lord. That hunger for your word, that hunger to know you, that boldness to do whatever you ask us to do because we are just on fire for you, Lord. Spark that fire anew, Holy Spirit. Fill us with you that we would crave your word more, that we would crave communion with it more, to hear your voice, Lord, to be your hands and feet, to be your salt and light, light unto this world. Lord, I think of the different areas that so many people of this church come from, and there's a lot of flashlights that can shine for your glory, sharing your truth, Lord, sharing who you are. Lord, thank you for the security in this passage that you our God, that you are eternal, that you're author and finisher, that you're the beginning and the end, that you're Alpha and Omega. Help us to never forget that. Help us to draw closer unto you, Lord, and help us to remember it is always about you, and it is always for your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a beautiful afternoon.